Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Out of Bounds podcast presented by F News Magazine. I'm Catherine Petre. I'm Ben Kim Pappleham. And I'm Aiden Bryant. All right, we've got an entertaining episode two for y'all. We've got the hot takes. We got the controversial opinions. We got the fan fever. Uh, Today, we are selling each other on our favorite sport teams, all right? Why we love them, why they're our favorites, and hopefully, maybe, by the end of the episode, we'll have persuaded each other uh, to join our team's fan bases, right? Bring them to the dark side. Uh, So to kick this conversation off, I'm going to throw it over to the one and only, the inimitable Aiden. All right, get us started, my friend. Thank you so much. So the team I'm going to be discussing mainly today uh, is going to be the New York Knicks. Um, I think the most interesting thing is that I wouldn't say they're my favorite team. I think my favorite team has to be the New York Yankees, but... I feel like if I talked about them for more than two seconds, people would just turn the episode off. And there's just not, I was talking to my dad about this because he's a big fan. He's a big Yankee fan too. And it's like, you know, you could talk about the Yankees. Like, you know, they've had all the great players. They've won 27 championships, but there's just not a lot there. You know, it's like, they're really good. They're always going to be really good. There's just nothing. There's not a, a lot of substance there, for me at least. I know that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but to me, there's not too much substance. You're coming like right in with the hot take. Somebody is listening right now and they're like, damn, like he really came from. I love the egg. I mean, I <laughs> I love them. They're great. I, I got tickets to go see them play the Astros, you know, social Why? distance and everything, but I'm so hyped for that. I'm Ben's gonna, losing I'm gonna, it over there. I'm going to be so mad when I go. It's going to be beautiful, but... I can't stand the Astros after what they did to the sport of baseball um, with the whole videos scandal. And they actually, I hate them more than the Yankees at this point in my life. So like the fact that you're going to go see that game just makes me cringe. Like my, all my insides just turned over like a, like a pot sticker. And I'm just like, mm, no. If we want to do a segment when I go to the game of just me getting thrown out of the game, which is inevitably going to happen, uh, we can do that. <laughs> I will... But I- Oh my god, I will mail you a recorder so you can just record yourself at the game and we'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd love to do it. It'd be great. Um, but yeah, I'm not gonna talk about them. I'm gonna talk about the New York Knicks, who are the polar opposite of the Yankees. We're not very successful. We don't have a lot of we've had great players, but we inevitably waste them or trade them away for nothing. And I've always said that being a Knicks fan is my penance. Well, well, you know, that Ma- that Mavs pick is looking pretty good right now. Just saying. <laughs> um, I always said, like, being a Knicks fan is my penance for being a Yankees fan. It keeps everything balanced. And they're just, you know, trying to describe the Knicks is just, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a very, it's just so hard. I, it's okay. the, what did we start with? When did you decide to sacrifice your soul to the Knicks? You know, when I was a kid, it was actually 10 years ago, a few days ago, they traded for Carmel Anthony. Um, growing up, I was a really big Lakers fan because of Kobe, because we have the same last name. So that that was really the only reason why I had like a Kobe notebook and everything. And he's a great player too, but I we had the same last name and I thought that was really cool. Um but the Knicks got Amari Stoudemire, and then they traded for Carmelo, 
which uh, looking back was not the best move. They could have just gotten him in free agency and we would have kept all our young pieces and probably been a much better team. But it was just so fun. The team was great. I mean, Carmelo was like, everyone loved him when I was a kid, you know, when he was playing in Denver, they had those sick jerseys, like the pale blue. He had the cornrows, like he just looked so cool. So I was so excited when he came over and we were really good for about three years. You know, there was that one season where we actually beat the heat most of the time. And then we got obliterated by the Pacers. And I feel like the peak for me and many other Knicks fans my age uh, was Jeremy Lin. The Lin sanity was a very big deal. I actually saw one of the games I was at, yeah, I was at the the Knicks-Mavs game. I think he went off. He had like 40 points or something. Um, it was insane. Knicks won. It, it was a really great moment to be a Knicks fan. You know, I almost became a Knicks fan because of Jeremy Lin. I'm not going to lie. So, he no, you made the, a lot of people. You made the right decision in being a Bucks fan. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I see your point. <laughs> It was just that yeah, insanity was like the thing growing up. And I was like, all for it. <laughs> Everyone loved it. I mean, you know, he was just a likable guy. He was killing it on the biggest stage in the world. Like, how could you not love him? But then the aftermath of that happened. And we let him go. And then Amari Stoudemire punched that fire extinguisher in the playoffs. Wait, what? And, yeah. So we were playing the Celtics, I believe, and it was after a, a loss. And Stoudemire, who was like pretty injured by that point, anyways, like he he was not as consistent as he was in his first year as the Knicks. He was just walking, dangling off his shoulder. Like, yeah, this is terrible. Um, so he's walking out after the the loss, and he just punches a fire extinguisher and like breaks his hand, and he's out for the rest of the playoffs. It's just indescribable. And then I get older and then I, I start to look back into the, the annals of Knicks history because, you know, we were really good in the 70s and then we were kind of fine in the 80s. And then we were really good in the 90s. You know, like if it wasn't for Michael Jordan, we probably would have won a few rings. And if it wasn't for John Starks literally not being able to make a three-pointer in game six of the 94 finals, we would have won another ring. Um, Sounds like so you're still really bitter good. about that. You know, I am. I wasn't even alive. <laughs> Um, also, the OJ Chase interrupted one of our finals games, which I'm also still a little bitter about. Oh my god, <laughs> that's just a fun fact. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, it is. I mean, Pixar Soul just recently trashed on the New York Knicks. I'm not sure if you saw that film. Yeah, no, uh, you know how I know that, Ben, because everyone who saw that movie told me about it. <laughs> <laughs> who aren't sports fans, they're like, "Hey, you gotta watch Soul." I mean, I, I I saw it. It's a great movie, but they're like, "You gotta watch Soul." There's a Knicks joke in it. I'm like, "Oh, thanks." I will say the one thing I've said since not to skip ahead a little bit since that movie came out um, and the events of the movie transpired, the Knicks have been pretty good, actually. <laughs> We're doing great. Um, oh my God. But being a Nick, my friend had a really great point where he's like, I'm a, I'm a Knicks fan and a basketball fan. And they're two separate things that occasionally cross over. And I would agree with that because being a Knicks fan is kind of being a fan of everything that happens off the court as much as on the court. Like, as I love the Yankees, but I couldn't tell you like what D.D. Gregorius got up to in his spare time when he was on the Yankees, you know, because they were just so good. You didn't have to entertain yourself with other things, you know, but like there's a lot of great stuff. There's Enos Cantor eating a bunch of cheeseburgers and then not playing in the game the day after. That was a classic Knicks moment for me. Uh, there was Eddie Curry 
we traded a bunch of first round picks for him. And then he came over and was so out of shape that he sat on a medicine ball, um, like an exercise ball and it popped and he hurt himself doing that. There was trading all the picks that could have became Joaquin Noah and LaMarcus Aldridge for nothing. There was trading first round picks for Andrea Bargnani, who was so bad. I did a high school project on him. It's just, it's truly an experience that not to gatekeep, but if you haven't experienced it, you, you, I just can't describe it to you. It's a, it's a magical experience. You know, I can't tell you the amount of times I've gone to a Nick game and just the strangest things happen. Like Luke Cornett, who is no longer in the league, going toe to toe with Joel Embiid for one game and doing nothing for the rest of the season. And apparently the rest of his career. And the rest of his career. Yeah. He's gone. You know, you, you get obsessed over the most like, minuscule players you know me and my friends like we we don't even talk about mellow a lot it's mostly like yo you remember when steve novak was on the team he was great you know just nailing threes like you remember when we had kyle o'quinn he was awesome like, like what are you talking because, about because there's nothing there's players there's because there's nothing there there's no substance when you lack substance you just have to go with what you have which is nothing so it's the most pure way to be a sports fan, in my opinion, because you're not going to watch someone win. You're just there for the love of the game. You know, you're really just there for the love of the game. That's true. So would you rather have your team, the Knicks, be perpetually good but not great or be what they are and then somewhere down the line have one single season of glory and that's it? I feel like at this point I'm just committed I need that just one season just to say like, this was worth it (laughs) the whole time, all the suffering, all the terrible trades, all the hopelessness was worth it for this one moment. So basically you want to be a Cubs fan, but in the basketball realm. Yeah. I would say they're very similar. Like, (laughs) cause the, look, we're not like, uh, like the magic or like another franchise where it's like, they don't really have a lot of, like the Grizzlies are a good example, actually. There's not a lot of history there. Like they're not really important in the grand scheme of things. Like the Knicks are the most valuable franchises in the NBA. We're worth like $5 billion and we've been awful yeah. for years now, for well, years. And then, I mean, it's like they were, they're, they're media, they're, they're, they're sports biggest media market. And the fact that they were great, like actually great for like a couple decades is what makes it so aggravating whenever I talk to like older Knicks fans who are like, why can't we just be great like we used to be? You know, I haven't even gotten into James Dolan, but that man is, he's the reason. I'll tell you right now, it's James Dolan, the man who plays guitar on the team plane coming back from uh, road games. The man who also uses his ownership of Madison Square Garden to make his band open for bigger bands. Like- so sad. Oh, he's, it's, he's so sad. He has inherited all his money. Um, he had that weird feud with Spike Lee and Charles Oakley a few years ago. Uh, there was one fan who wrote like a letter to like a radio station or something about how the Knicks were so bad. And James Dolan responded and called him out and like, you're not a real fan. Like he's the reason why that no one's coming, that no one's coming to New York. Like that's the reason why KD went to Brooklyn is because of James Dolan. Like that's real. It is, but I wouldn't trade it for anything else. My friends almost became Nets fans, but then they got KD and Kyrie and they were like, well, now we'd look like bandwagon fans. And I was like, ha ha, you're stuck with it now. You can't get away. (laughs) 
you gotta be here until it's over like it's 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 a beautiful experience i wouldn't recommend it to anybody but <laughs> if you really want to know the purest form of being a sports fan i would say be it be a knicks fan yeah i love how like you're selling us on it and your main argument is there's nothing there <laughs> but i love them anyway <laughs> Like, you're really getting me to the Knicks. Like, thanks. It's, like, slightly masochistic. You know what I mean? It's, like, suffer with me because suffering is a true form of loyalty. Look, it's suffering, but it's also, like, it's kind of like when you're you're walking and you see, like, a, a leaf falling from a tree and you just appreciate the banality of the moment and how beautiful that is. That's, That's kind of what it is to be a Knicks fan. That is from Soul. I stole it soul. That is so. It's like that scene in Soul where you just realize it's all the little parts, you know? It's like, oh, uh, it is watching Steve Novak make five threes in a quarter and never amounting at anything. It, it is watching Landry Fields also never amount to anything. It is watching J.R. Smith take a terrible shot at the end of the game and almost losing. Oh my God. You know, it's, it's, it is. It's an experience. You know, if you really want to challenge yourself, if you want to have a spiritual experience, but you don't want to like, take ayahuasca or something, I would say be a Knicks fan. <laughs> oh my God. I, I do want to defend my boy, Steve Novak, because he played one season for the Bucks where he was like our 12th man. And now he, um, after he retired, he became the Bucks uh, official announcer. Oh, he's, he's a God. I love Steve Novak. He's, he's a better announcer than he was a player. And I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I just love him. He was a great three-point shooter. I almost got his autograph at the game, fun fact, but I was waiting for Jeremy Lin and I didn't get it. Um, <laughs> It's just the fact that, like, you know, other players, like, if you're a Lakers fan, be like, yo, I remember when we had, like, Kobe and Pau Gasol and, like, Lamar Odom and, like, we were winning final and run our test, we were winning championships. And I'm like, man, I remember when Steve Novak was really good that one season. That was cool. We, we lost in the conference semis, but that was fun, you know? Like, that's what I have. And yeah. it's, is it lesser? Yes, but, like, spiritually, not at all. You know? <laughs> I, I guess now is a good time is ready for me to like jump in and talk about a team that actually uh, owns their sport, but owns it and then breaks people's hearts. The Green Bay Packers, who have four Super Bowls, 13 NFL championships, and most in the league. But over the past decade, they've been to the NFC championship in 2014, 2017, and recently 2020, um, and have just had absolutely brutal losses in the NFC Championship round. Um, I'm not here to lament the fail Mary or lament the uh, Brandon Bostic botched uh, onside kick. I'm not here to lament the fact that Tom Brady will be considered the greatest of all time when clearly it's Aaron Rodgers. And shout out to my boy for getting engaged to Shalane Woodley and then everyone changed, someone changed his wiki page to say Shalane Woodley's fiance and celebrity host of Jeopardy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I guess the, the point of time I, I wanna make with the Green Bay Packers is that you fall in love with them and you're willing to like go to battle for them because it's a sense of community um, that the Green Bay Packers uh, for me represent um, that the, a team being part of something bigger than just playing football. Um, they've been based in Green Bay since 1919. Um, at various points in their history, they've actually almost moved to Milwaukee and became the Milwaukee Packers because the NFL was like, your stadium sucks, please build a new one. 
And then the whole community in Green Bay rallied around and raised money essentially to keep them in Green Bay. And this happened on two different occasions, once in the 50s and the second time in the 2010s. No, sorry, 2000s, mid 2000s, I wanna say. Um, I'm gonna edit that out because I double checked my notes and I was right the first time. It was 2011, 2012. <laughs> so I guess the best way to talk about the Packers is anecdotally. Um, I could talk about the Super Bowl. I could talk about um, the, some of the players like Donald Driver is one of the most stand-up people of all time. But on December 28, 2014, in 20 degree weather, I got tickets to the game on week 17 um, from my uncle and my cousins. And this was for the division uh, playing against the Detroit Lions. They were both 11 and four entering this week. Whoever won would have the division and the number two seed. Whoever lost would still be in the playoffs, but they'd be a wildcard team. I think the number five seed. This was gonna be my first game in quite a while. Um, growing up, I, I loved watching the Packers, but at the same time, I didn't all, uh, have the resources to go see games a lot of time. So it was a really, really big moment for me. I think I was, how old would I have been? I would have been about 23. Uh, my first memory of waking up and going to the game was my mom being like, you're not going unless you're not gonna freeze to death out there. And I'm like, mom, I'm gonna drink so much beer. There's no way I'm gonna freeze to death. But my mom was like, no, you gotta, you gotta wear, you know, two layers of underwear. You gotta wear three layers of socks. You gotta go in boots. You gotta go in your sweatshirt and a jacket and a jacket on top of that. You gotta wear a hat. Like it was one of the, I have a picture of it where I look like I gained 30 pounds because my mom was just like, he need to get all the clothing on there because it's going to be negative degree weather. And I'm like, it's only going to be in the twenties. That's not bad. Like you go to a Packer game and you see people shirtless all the time. You see um, women wearing those very, really dumb looking uh, cheese bikinis that you can buy at the pro shop. Um, so it, it's, it's 20 degrees and in a, a Wisconsin, a true Wisconsin, it's like, whatever, I'll go in shorts and like, t-shirt i'll cut off my jeans at the knee to go to the city right you gotta you gotta blend in you got yeah dude you, you gotta, gotta assimilate walk. um i could not walk <laughs> because of all the like clothing that was on me the boots were too big for my feet and i know it doesn't come through in an audio medium but i'm a very small person and so trying to get through a crowd of literally thousands of people with boots that were about three sizes too big for me was oh, an absolute nightmare. Um, I remember my uncle having to just pick me up and carry me at times because of just how, one, it was icy, but two, trying to climb upstairs was like an impossibility. Um, and this game was just one of the most surreal environments. I think like the typical environment you think of when you go to Wentworth Field, this open stadium, the metal bleachers being so cold, you don't want to sit on them, you just stand on them. Mm. Um, thousands of fans singing Sweet Caroline. And like, I don't know where this day's back to, but Sweet Caroline is the rallying cry of the Green Bay Packers. And in this game, I, I guess what I'm trying to trying to say is that the Green Bay Packers is, want, is history it just seems to always be the underdog mentality of, we care so much about football because football is life. It is in Green Bay. If you if you live in Green Bay, um, it's just Packer memorabilia everywhere. We have a giant statue of a player 
number 80 for Donald Driver outside like the Neville Museum. Um, all of our like signs are named after like coaches who won the Super Bowl. You see like Green Bay Packer plates, license plates on like every car and people who have tattooed the G on their arm. The, the, the stadium itself is situated in the middle of essentially a neighborhood. You literally are surrounded by just resident houses. And shout out to the people living in those resident houses because they charge 20 to $40 a pop per car to park there so people can walk to the stadium easier. And so you can make a cool $1,000 on home games during a season if you live close by because you're like hey do you not want to walk far enough forty dollars and so like on game days you'll drive down the streets and you'll see the people like standing outside with like uh park here forty dollars and enjoy a free lemonade they figured it out (laughs) and it's it's just an awesome experience to like feel like you're part of a larger community the game within the game the actual game for the packers kind of i felt like was a representative of that um, this was the game where Aaron Rodgers hurt his leg throwing a touchdown to Randall Cobb and had to be taken off the field for halftime. And there was a dead hush in the crowd. Like someone just scored a touchdown. Cobb just caught a touchdown and no one was just doing anything because everyone was just in silence because everyone was like, our season's done. <laughs> because Rodgers is walking to the locker room. After a halftime, and at some point, the Lions came back and tied the game. We were up 14 to nothing. Lions came back, and now we're, they took a 17 to 14 lead or something like that. Rodgers comes back out of the locker tunnel, and no one's watching the game. Everyone is watching like the video monitor of Rodgers coming out of the tunnel. And you just hear MVP, MVP, MVP chants going throughout the entire crowd. And it was like, I have never been part of an experience before unlike it where you could feel just like the energy of everyone it, you could physically feel the energy of everyone suddenly lifting up the entire like stadium. It felt like it felt like there was something there propelling everyone to just. Um, it was like church. I don't know how else to describe it. It was like you've ever been in a really rowdy church crowd. It was like that, except with eighty thousand screaming drums. Wait, that just that just sounds like um, my church. Honestly, <laughs> when I went to church. spiritual experience. <laughs> um, join the Green Bay Packers church is essentially what the point of the story is. Packers eventually won. Rodgers came back into the game, scored a touchdown on a quarterback sneak on a bum knee. Um, we won thirty to twenty. We ended up going to the NFC Championship and lost to the Seahawks after being up 19-7 to in the fourth quarter. Um, That was that game, the infamous, very painful game. But, you know, Aiden, you said that being a Knicks fan is all about, like, you wouldn't trade the experience of uh, of all the stories, all the minute details that that go on outside of the team. And I think the Green Bay Packers are the same way that it's, yeah I can get like they lose and it's painful but I get over the losses because of the fact that of all the like memories and all of the experiences I've had with family members and friends bonding over um cheese beer dip and good good tacos (laughs) um yeah don't use the bathrooms in Lambeau Field though that's my last pitch well, you got to you got to expand on that a little bit. Come on. Can't leave us hanging. Okay. So <laughs> remember how I told you I was wearing oversized boots and clothing. I reached a point where somewhere between my second or third beer where I'm like I got to use the bathroom. <laughs> and 
I, this was such a bad mistake because I, I stood in line and this line was incredibly long. I think I was waiting for like 15 minutes to use the bathroom, but I get in there. And again, like, I don't want to get too much into like my disability and my other physical abilities, but I can't use urinals. I have to use the bathroom stalls. I get inside the bathroom stall and it's, I guess the only way to describe it is if you've ever been in a subway of Chicago or New York and you just sometimes see that people don't really give a shit about giving a shit in the subway. That's kind of what the bathroom was like. And I'm just like, I don't need to use the bathroom anymore. And I just laughed. So I waited online for like 15, 20 minutes to use the bathroom in a place I never went. And I just <laughs> decided to suffer through it. Um, and, I, and I think it was the spirit of Aaron Rodgers that helped me through it. So Aaron Rodgers, if you're listening, you helped this dude not use the bathroom mm. at a time when they needed to. And I think there's no greater honor than that. I think that's like that experience, like that, that's what it means to be a sports fan. I think, I think right there, that's what it is. Um, I'm kind of like, I, I cheat a little bit on this episode. I chose two teams because Listen, we all, we, we got to ride or die, but sometimes you have that, like, you know, you have that underdog team, you know? Um, and I'm talking about hockey. If you know me, you know that, like, I, I love hockey. It is my sport. If I could talk hockey, like, all day, every day, I would. That's the dream. That's the ideal. Um, so we're talking about the Philadelphia Flyers, ride or die. They lost miserably in the recent NHL Outdoors games to uh, the Boston Bruins. I live tweet that whole game. It was painful. We're not going to talk about that. It's fine. We're, we're blocking it out. It's fine. But first, we're going to talk about the Detroit Red Wings, which is also a little painful if you're looking at their record right now. But I like to think that they're on the upswing of a rebuild that they've been in for a long time. It's hopeful. It's maybe misguided. But you got to hold on to like what you can, you know? But when I think of like the Detroit Red Wings, I think of like hockey history, like they encapsulate for me, what is so incredible about the sport. And I feel like I should give a little disclaimer. I came to hockey really late. I did not grow up with this sport. Um, it was not something I had access like to play when I was a kid. Like it was something that like I fell in love with like as a teenager and then a young adult. And so looking back on like what drew me to hockey and what drew me to these teams in particular, like now as an adult and like having been, um, you know, a fan of the sport for a long time and now kind of like working within the sports industry, like it was kind of interesting and kind of fun to be like, oh, like what about that identity or that history of these teams like really attracted me to them. And for like Detroit, it's like that historical part, obviously they're like an original six team, but like to really explain it, we got to go back to like Soviet hockey, right? Like Russian five, like that incredible cup run, like late 80s, like Slava Fetisov, just incredible. He is like my favorite player. And so like with the Russian five and the Detroit Red Wings, like, oh my God, like, have we ever seen hockey that incredible? And it's so much more than just what was happening on the ice. So Throwing it back to like Mother Russia, USSR, 1980s. <laughs> we gotta look at like Anatoly Tarasov. Do you guys know who he is? Have you heard Ma of his maybe. name before? I don't. Keep going. I don't know. No. <laughs> Putting y'all on the spot with like some hockey like 
trivia right now but basically like he is widely regarded as like the father of modern hockey because um he was a longtime head coach for the red army team um he is who like really made the russian five who they were as players and as people and he is the one who really engineered like the red army team who was still like the most successful international hockey team in history right like no other team has achieved the level of success that they had and it's all because of him and how he looked at hockey as a sport but also as an art form um like he took from literature he took from theater he took from chess he took from dance and applied all of these different ideas to hockey like what he envisioned and created on the ice like was revolutionary then and is still like has not been replicated even now like even with the merging of eastern european and western hockey styles like I, I mean i could go on for like hours and i mean hours about this and about like the sociopolitics of soviet hockey but like looking at hockey the way that he did like as a thing of beauty and as an art form and as a dance and a game i mean it that really resonated with me especially when i first like started getting into the sport and it's like that history and legacy that I see in the Detroit Red Wings. Again, like maybe not now, they haven't broke like 500 with their uh, score right now, but I mean, definitely in their identity. I mean, like, you know, coming from the Red Army and Tarasov like to the Detroit Red Wings, late 80s, like Slava Fetisov, Russian five. I mean, they kind of, I mean, they really honestly changed the course of hockey in North America and playing styles and strategies and just like how it looked on the ice like they changed that but they also changed the course of history and sociopolitics and like inside and outside of the sport of hockey I mean the Russian five and the Detroit Red Wings and that kind of merging of Russian players into the NHL which was a huge thing and very controversial at the time like that had sociocultural and political implications far outside the sport and so it's like that I find so fascinating and so interesting and really kind of like I don't know like makes the Detroit Red Wings who they are because of this impact that they've had that is all-encompassing obviously again like remarkable cup runs late 80s you know early 90s original six team like in looking at where they are now i'm not making any like you know stanley cup predictions here if i were the detroit red wings would not be my pick they're not like they're not gonna make it i'm sorry but what i love about them and the team right now obviously there's like larkin and bertuzzi and grice like they have the team they do lack like the finish they don't have that top end talent that they need you know but the effort's there even when they're like down six in a game, it's third period, it's hopeless. The effort is there every time they step on the ice. And it's that kind of team mentality that I think comes from this history and legacy of the Red Wings that I see every time they play. And that is what keeps me coming back. It's like that pure like love for the sport and like love for hockey 
that like gets me even when I know they're going to lose. They're not going to beat Tampa Bay. I get it. I know what I'm in for when I turn on that game. But I watch it because I love the Red Wings and I love what they stand for historically. So that's like the first team. Any thoughts so far? Do we have any secret Red Wings fans in the mix? Well, no, here? but as a Colorado Avalanche fan, I'm a, I'm a little salty, not gonna lie. Um, <laughs> definitely some, yeah. Of course. Some, definitely some beef between our boys there, but that's all I gotta say. That's all I gotta say. I don't think there's anything else to say, but. <laughs> but what was the transition period like for the Russian five then? Because being the first, right? If I, if I heard that right, they were the first Russian mm-hmm. players in a time of like the Cold War about to be over. Yeah but still that sentiment and that prejudice still being there. What was that transition like for them? I think it was really hard. Do you guys know who Don Cherry is? He was like the longtime host of Hockey Night in Canada. Aiden's nodding his I'm head. Not, um, I don't know. He's mm, recently let go in the past couple of years, but he was really vocally against Russian players coming to the NHL, like on TV, very vocal. You're right, height of the Cold War, a ton of anti-Russian sentiment, ton of like anti-communist sentiment. Um, And again, it's a really complicated situation. We could honestly do a whole episode on it, but it was really hard for them to assimilate, especially because the Eastern European hockey style in Soviet Russia was so categorically different from the Western hockey style. Western hockey at the time was a really individualistic game, not a ton of passing. It was really like everyone had their own role and it wasn't as much of you know, an all-inclusive group effort. Whereas when you saw like Soviet hockey, you'd have like eight, nine, 10 strings of passes in one play and you just don't see that anymore. And so it's that kind of like mentality. So I think it was hard for them to assimilate on like a social and a cultural level, but also on the ice too. Well, that's kind of the same way that European basketball at least still is now and was in MJ's day um, where in American basketball, even still today, you get like that, seeds of you give it to your best player and just let them cook and european basketball is all about no we're just gonna it's a team game so we're gonna get every player involved on every play possession mm-hmm. at least try to so it sounds like hockey is similar in that regard yeah i don't know i love hockey and i'm also gonna again like i can't we can't end this conversation without mentioning like gritty of course uh in the philadelphia flyers because they are my um fly or die get it get it yeah but uh, they're my fly or die team i love them if anyone's going to be a serial murderer it's going to be gritty gritty's going to burst through my yes. room like the kool-aid man and just be like you're talking now <laughs> like i'm terrified of gritty please explain what gritty is who knows <laughs> who knows and that's what's like so perfect about it because we're like what is gritty who is gritty If you aren't following Gritty on social media, please do yourselves a favor and do it because Gritty on Instagram and Gritty on Twitter is like, oh my God, light of my life. Like, wonderful, wonderful. Did Gritty get sued for maybe assaulting a child? Yes. What? This was a long time ago. He, it was- A long time ago. He's been around for like three years. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, time is an illusion. Gritty transcends, like, you know. We are talking about the, the person behind power. the mask and not the mascot himself, just for our listeners at home who might feel like, yeah. what just happened? I mean, are they one in the yeah, same? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, is there, anyway, there's from, a person behind there? I didn't realize. 
sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot that Gritty just lives in the snowy mountains and just comes out to feed off of the hockey energy. Uh, Do you know I, what Gritty's backstory is? I have no idea. But there's there's lore. The backstory. Yeah, dude. Oh my god. Like Gritty is a rabbit hole that like we could totally like just lose ourselves in but basically they're like yeah we found gritty just like living in our arena and now he's here incredible marketing oh my god wonderful i love it and gritty's like obsessed with claude drew the captain of the philadelphia flyers and like whoever is in charge of like the gritty image they really went all out they really put all their cards on the table and said have Um, at it a couple quick highlights of of gritty's twitter thread at tsa I'm ready to be randomly selected for a frisking. Mm-hmm. Gritty also posted, my first and last love is self-love. And then there's a video of roses um, by a campfire and him staring deeply into it. It's still there yeah. for the world. Um, an inspiration, an icon, I think. <laughs> like a king, we love him, we, we stand Gritty. No, I love Gritty, like as an entity. I think that's wild <laughs> and hilarious. But also, like, the Philadelphia Flyers, like, obviously their identity is grit. That's how we get gritty. Determination. Whatever. It's, like, all these qualities, like, I want to see in myself and, like, I see emulated into that team personality. But obviously, it's, like, the Broad Street Bullies. The rivalry with, like, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Sorry, Pens fans. We can't be friends. It's not going to (laughs) happen. Like, screw it, you know? Um, But they're, like, a fun team. And I think especially right now, deeply inconsistent. What are you going to get on the ice? Who knows? Are they going to lose seven to three to the Boston Bruins and the NHL outdoor games and Lake Tahoe? Yes. Are they going to like almost make it to the Stanley Cup finals? Probably. Maybe. We'll see. Like they have like a really exciting group of young players and like Travis Konechny and like Ivan Provorov. Um, Carter Hart, their young goaltender, who is my age and is making like millions of dollars playing hockey. Crazy how that happens to people. Um, But they also have like a really strong veteran core. And I think it's that kind of combination of they have like all the pieces are in place for a really, really successful team. They just need that confidence and they just need consistency. And so every time you watch them, they could win or they could lose miserably. Who knows? And you keep coming back for more because you love them and Gritty will probably like find you in your sleep if you stop loving them, you know? Oh my God, that's horrifying. So I guess I really am not becoming a Flyers fan then. I, you either, you're either with Gritty or you're against Gritty. That's all I'm gonna say. Okay. I'm gonna leave it at that. Lock we'll my doors what percentage of your yeah. fandom is motivated by fear of Gritty? <laughs> Gosh, Aiden, I think that's a question I don't want to answer. Fair enough. I don't think we'd like them, but I love it. No, the Philadelphia Flyers, like, obviously, I love the Detroit Red Wings. They're my underdog team. I feel like there's always, um, I think in all of our teams today, there's kind of like that underdog quality. You want to root for, like, the, you know, um, the team who, like, maybe has to fight a little bit stronger, really, I think, is, like, what makes a team exciting. Yeah, and I think. I guess just to bounce off that, and sorry to go back to the Packers, but part of that like mentality of the Packers is the fact that we're the smallest market in the, in the three four major sports, 
it's the only team that doesn't have an owner. It's completely community funded um, with community stockholders. Um, but also just the fact that we're all in the frozen tundra and people don't seem to respect like uh, the players on a national scale. Um, when you hear about like um, the greatest players at their position is never Packer players unless it's Rodgers, simply because we don't get much media coverage as much. And I think there's a weird pride in that, um, that, that you don't go get as much attention. And I definitely feel like we, all three of us have that. Mm-hmm. There's a community to it. Yeah. And everyone kind of has that shared identity. And like, I'll just say this. I was not surprised by either of you bringing in the Knicks uh, or the Packers. <laughs> I was like, yeah, sounds about right. Aiden starting was like, yeah, I'm bringing in the Knicks. I'm like, yeah, we knew. We figure it could have been the expos because they don't exist anymore. So it's just a dagger. You know, there it is. It's time to put this to bed. So, the the fun fact I wanted to share from the um, my anecdote of going to the Packers Lions game is Micah Hyde had a fifty five yard punt return for a touchdown in the game. That is the last time the Packers have scored a punt return for a touchdown. Um, and I witnessed that. And I'm not saying my presence cursed the team, but I am saying there is a distinct connection you can draw between me being there and me not being there in the stadium and then not scoring I think touchdowns. We, I think, I think <laughs> what we have to do now, we have to take an F News road trip to the Packers home opener and see if they score a punt return touchdown when you are there again. <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's like maybe the reverse is true, like where you're the lucky charm, like you're the missing piece. What if I have to live in the stadium and I become the new gritty? You know what I mean? I think, I mean, listen, have at it, my friend. <laughs> you might have some competition, but um, listen, I support you in following your dreams wherever that may lead. Oh, thank you. that. So, do you think I could take gritty in a fight? Like no, no. Um, I don't think anyone no. can take gritty in a fight. Let's be real with you. Okay, no. now, Aiden, take your favorite MMA boxer and put them against gritty. Who wins? Gritty, hundred percent gritty. I just hundred percent. As much as I love, like you take the goat, and I I would at least give gritty a coin flip. Ah, uh, okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. Gritty doesn't go down for anyone. I listen. I don't know how this episode turned into like just. Uh, all about gritty but I don't think we could have expected anything less when we talk about the Philadelphia Flyers because at this point I'm like it's just it's the Flyers and gritty they're a tandem if we wanted to end on a more retrospective introspective scale we could ask the question what's the biggest difference you see now um, between yourself as a fan now versus when you were a kid or growing up or new to the team Mm. Aiden I would say I I went like lots of hope and then no hope and then just acceptance in a good way where you know it, it's it's like it's like nihilism but like not as like asshole-ish you know where it's like we're all just vibing you know Julius Randle's real good this year is he going to be good next year I don't know like he could suck next year and I'd be like yeah that makes sense we could trade him for nothing and that would make sense we're all just floating you know, we're all floating along. There is no why, like Kurt Vonnegut said. So, yeah, there oh we go. So, so essentially, grim acceptance. The longer you become a fan, the more you get beamed down in your soul. 
because I kind of feel that way because like when I was a kid you know you're, you're a kid and you think that like 20 year olds are adults right mm. and I remember like you know not having this great concept of like especially football players why they're like slacking off or what does it mean to like not have energy or you know the night before they we played a game in Miami and so the team's tired and maybe party too hard I'm like but they're adults they should know better so I think a lot of it is me now as a 20 some year old being like oh wait they're just kids <laughs> for the most part they're just idiots like me like and there's a lot more understanding of like success and failure and being like more accepting of like redefining that success doesn't necessarily mean you win the championship every year mm-hmm. it sounds like you feel a lot of kinship with them like as you know people rather than like icons yeah definitely the iconography of the athlete has like let mm-hmm. like decrease the older I got and I think that's a good thing yeah yeah I feel that I feel that I think one of the things that I've learned and part of that's just like speaking to athletes and like knowing athletes and you know working in sports media but also like getting older is I have a lot more like I don't know respect for the individual versus respect for the athlete because I think we we take athletes as like we put them in a different context right and we kind of like I like you know look at them as idols or icons or whatever role models whatever but at the end of the day like you're right they're just they're just people and I think like I feel for them sometimes I'm like god it must suck to just like you know not have privacy or or be so you know under a microscope sometimes or have so much pressure put on you by so many people so it's like I really I I feel for them sometimes I think that's the thing that's changed is looking at them more as like people rather than you know something else yeah I mean and definitely like it's really hard to imagine some of the situations that athletes go through especially like with injuries um Mm -hmm. and having to come back from that and and like I guess it's also being more conscious of the business side of sports and understanding that I mean as a game but it's still your job and I've definitely been in a position where I don't want to go to my job (laughs) I had a couple too much to drink uh the night before yeah we say as we're working (laughs) (laughs) oh man so i guess with that in mind aiden you have to take us home boy you have to take us home let's go take (laughs) us home oh god i don't i I don't know man like (laughs) you know it, it is weird. You grow up and like athletes become different. They become your age. And that's kind of sad because you're like, what am I doing with my life? Like that could, you think yeah. like that could have, that, <laughs> that's like, what it is. You know, that could have been me. But then I look at Zion and I'm like, yo, he is way more athletic than I ever could have been. Like nothing could have gotten me to that point, but it's still in the back of my head that like, that could have been me if my parents like got me the right <laughs> breakfast cereal. Um, right. You pass that point of no return where like athletes start to be younger than you. And then you're like, oh God. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, we were talking about fandom is kind of like it, it evolves, but it is still kind of a crutch, you know? And it is something that you can lean on when you're feeling down. And sometimes it gets you more down, but it's always there. You know, like when the Knicks started playing again, I actually said to my friend, thank God it's going to be so nice to watch the Knicks lose. You know, it's comforting. <laughs> it's like an old blanket. Yeah. Like, 
you know, and Yankees spring training is Sunday. And it's like, oh, finally, especially right now with COVID where it's like, nothing's normal. It's like, well, at least I have this, you know? Uh, And it's always going to kind of be that for me. It's never going to be something I do, but it's always going to be something that exists outside of my job and my career that I can just go to. So it's always going to have a place for me like that. Something really understated about being a fan of any sport is just quite simply the routine it dictates for you. It allows you to kind of set a schedule and mm-hmm. plan and get excited for something. And I, I think that's sometimes under, uh, un, I don't want to undermine that aspect because I definitely have had situations where I'm like, I can't hang out. Um, the Packers are playing. <laughs> like, like, sometimes it's just like, I, I love you. You're a great person. You're a friend. But I love the Packers more. And I know that's hard to hear, but it's true. Uh, there have been many times during like my friends are like, we're gonna play D and D, and I'm just sitting there like, and they're vibing, and I'm just kind of like, this is fun. But I'm also I'm also watching the Knicks game on my laptop, being like, ah, now this is where it's at. I had that. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> uh, as as we wrap up the episode, and we ended on the note of gritty and sports being a community and an identity that we all can find our place in. Um, thank you for joining us for episode two of the Out of Bounds podcast presented by F News Magazine. Join us back for episode three, topics still TBD, but uh, come back in two weeks and we will have something for you then. Thank you. I'm Ben. I'm Aiden. <laughs> and I'm Catherine. We'll see you next time. Is D&D a sport? Uh, maybe. That could be an episode. Before we go, a special thank you to Eleven AI for the use of their song Blur from their album Q-Type 3. You can download that song and more on Spotify under the name 11AI. And a second thank you to Jay Cheng for the use of her artwork for this podcast. You can find her artwork on her website and Instagram, Jay Cheng. Thank you.